Welcome to Creekside Church. It's just great to see everyone here this morning and be able to worship together. Continue to make your way into a seat. We have plenty of them up here. Uh, as we do that, let's just bow our heads and uh, ask for God to prepare our hearts for worship. Father, we just thank you for Jesus, our Savior. What a foundation he is for life. And we pray that we would become people who build our lives on Jesus Christ, who look to him for all of our needs, both spiritual, physical, emotional. Uh, we again, just thank you and praise you. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Oh, how sweet to walk in this pilgrim way, leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how bright the path grows from day to day. to dread what have i to fear leaning on the everlasting arms i have blessed peace with my lord so near i won't be able to mention it all but here's a few things i just wanted to call to attention first of all we are excited for the birth of nehemiah kendrick packer so let's give a round of applause Alec and Annie are nestled in at home, probably sleeping, but hopefully they get a chance to watch this uh, recording at some point. But uh, we're just excited for another healthy baby, and uh, what a blessing that is. Um, reminder about the Haiti missions trip is still on for this fall. If you have interest in that, you need to reach out to Norb and Karen Metzler. They are organizing this once again and excited for opportunity, Lord willing, to, to go down there and minister again in Haiti. Also happening in July, there are, there are several uh, opportunities to kind of get together and focus on the topic of evangelism. On Wednesday nights, there's a study that's going through the book of Jonah and looking at principles that we can learn for evangelism from that. And then we have a, a couple of guest uh, speakers coming. Micah Tuttle is here next week, and he is doing a workshop. So he'll be here in the morning preaching, and then he'll have a workshop on evangelism in the evening. And then the week after that, we'll have Brett Rickley here doing a, another uh, workshop on evangelism from a, a little different vantage point. So you'll have some opportunities to get plugged in and, and uh, get involved in those things. I have the privilege of introducing uh, Pastor Worku. Uh, Pastor Worku and I uh, are not longtime friends, but we're friends, uh, have gotten to know each other through my involvement with the Evangelical Free Church. And he comes to us from St. Louis, 
uh, his uh, son Sammy's here, his wife and, and daughter are in the area as well. They can, all came up to join us. But he's going to open us this morning with reading the text that, we're gonna be, that I'm going to be preaching on and then opening our time in prayer. And then Pastor Worku has uh, set up a series of meetings with some of us this afternoon. So that's why he's here joining us. So Pastor Worku, uh, what a blessing it is to have you. And I hope that you'll uh, be encouraged. I pray that you would just uh, open the word for us this morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? Good, good. good. Uh, in my church, I have a very special mic that interprets my accent. <laughs> so I'm hoping you will understand as I read. Uh, the scripture is from Matthew 7, 24 through 29. By the way, uh, my name is, as you heard, Pastor Worku, uh, Worku Garamo, and I am originally from Ethiopia. Uh, my wife is from Wichita, Kansas, and there is my son, Sami, and we are so joyful to be here. Thank you, Pastor, for inviting us here. Let's read the word of God. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished this saying, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Let us pray. Father God, today we are before you as people who do not have anything to show except your grace. Thank you for calling us your kingdom, especially when I see what's going on around the world these days. I'm so thankful I am your child. I'm so thankful these brothers and sisters are your followers. We confess on everything we came short as followers of you in our relationship with you, with each other, and with the world. Lord, thank you for the truth that on the cross, there is a declaration that says it's finished. So you took our punishment and you forgive us. We thank you for that. Lord, today as we hear your word, let it not only intellectual experience, but really true obedience, not just a mere listening, but obedience that comes out of love, obedience that comes out of the fact that we are healed on the cross, obedience to hear your word and to do, to act in a way that will bring glory to you and that will show that we are your children. Help us to listen to the word. Help us to be founded on the rock. Bless our day today. Thank you for bringing us together. 
In Jesus' name, amen. For Brother Worku coming up and taking time to spend with us today as a church and our elder team and some of our uh, congregation, some of our members, we're just blessed to, to have him here. We're just grateful for his presence. He's been an encouragement to me in uh, multicultural ministry as he's uh, worked very diligently in the St. Louis area uh, doing intercultural ministry. So that's, uh, that's why he's here and he's a, a blessed brother and an encouragement to me whenever we've talked and whenever we met and he has a servant's heart willing to do whatever. So uh, we're, we're ready to, to jump into the text this morning of Matthew chapter 7. I like that little uh, Sunday school song and gets us primed to build our house upon the rock and lets us know what's going on. But I wanted you to look as we get started this morning on, at this uh, slide of a, a home. It doesn't look much like a home, uh, but uh, if you see it up on the screen, it looks a little bit more like a grain bin. And uh, that's basically the model that it came from. I'm familiar with and been involved in the past in a ministry where these homes are constructed. The, the one I'm talking about is the one on your right, okay, the, the cylindrical one. And uh, it's a model. Actually, it's, they're called safety homes. And there's a company in Iowa that actually manufactures these safety homes. And they began to build them in response to the Haiti earthquake of 2010. And basically what these do, they're, they're supposed to be somewhat earthquake and also hurricane proof. And in October, I believe it was, of uh, 2016, Hurricane Matthew went through the area of Haiti where these were first tested. And the eye of the hurricane was within about 40 or 45 miles from where the majority of these 140 or plus homes had been constructed. And so the, the straight line winds were about 140, 145 miles an hour in that area for a sustained period of time. And of the 140 homes, none of them collapsed. None of them gave way. There was some cosmetic damage, but all of them stood firm in the midst of that storm. In fact, there's a story of one village of 60 people. Can you imagine 60 people? They were standing up like toothpicks, and I think I've told you this before, but they were standing up like toothpicks uh, all around in a circle, listening to the horrific winds outside, and they all survived because they all came to that home. And the reason I say that is because they, they, they did this to, to stand against the storm, and we're talking in this morning in the passage about the storm. The storm that came and those depending on how they built their, built, their, built their home. And of the three contrasts, the last of the three contrasts in Matthew chapter 7. Now we've been in Matthew 7. So Matthew chapter 7 beginning with verse 13 through verse 29. There are three contrasts. And this is the last of those contrasts. And the last of those contrasts which pits righteousness versus being merely religious. The last of those contrasts sets up for this us this idea that in, Jesus is making it very clear that physical security in a storm is merely a picture of eternal security in the face of God's judgment, and it is security only when we have built our house based on construction, not on cosmetics. It's not a matter of what the house looks like, it's a matter of how the house is built. Not a matter of what our life looks like on the outside, it's a matter of what our life is like on the inside. 
You see, are we building our life on allegiance and obedience to Christ and his word? Or are we building our life on self-righteous religion, on religious activity, on just appearing like we're okay? Or the shifting sands of rebellion, outright rebellion or simply religiosity? That's the question that confronts us. And in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 23, we see that we're warned. Now this is rewinding. But we've been warned about false prophets. We've been warned about false profession. We've been warned about false practices. Right? Been warned about all those things in that passage. But salvation is not the possession of those who merely talk the talk. It's not even the, prof- not even the possession of those who deceptively walk the walk. Because we can do that. We've seen that as we marched, marched through the text. No. In Matthew chapter 7, the text we're looking at today, verses 24 through 20, and what we find out is that litmus test of whether or not we possess kingdom righteousness is not merely for, it's, it's the litmus test, is whether or not we practice what we profess. It's not a matter of whether we're just saying the right things or even sometimes doing some of the right things, but whether we are actually, our profession and our practice are there. It's not merely our religious or outright activity, but what we do. Jesus declared with divine authority that everyone who enters the narrow gate into eternal life is the one who hears his word and acts on it. The ones who don't enter into eternal life through the narrow gate are those who hear his words and don't act upon it. So we have to evaluate ourselves. So I look at the text The obedient people are the righteous people who enter the kingdom of God. The obstinate people, those are the religious and the rebellious, are the people who don't enter the kingdom of God. They build their lives on the sand and they're not saved. The obedient people people build their lives on the rock of Jesus and they are saved. Here we go. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, Jesus calls us to action. So this is the conclusion of his Sermon on the Mount. This is wrapping it up. And he calls us to action in light of his sermon. And he gives us two incentives. Two incentives for pursuing righteousness as opposed to just merely merely being religious or the worst alternative is just being rebellious. Two incentives. So we're going to march through the text. If you have your Bibles or you have your device, I hope since work who already read it that you have it open. And we're going to look at these beginning with the consequences of our personal or our response, which is eternal. The the consequence, this is one of the motivations, is that the consequence of our choice is an eternal decision. It matters for eternity. And Jesus presents two choices in the text. Each of them are drastically different consequences as a result of the choice. And each of those drastically different consequences results in a different eternal destiny. And so there are three actual ways that he does that the two choices are this first of all our obedience means that we're present in the kingdom it's pretty simple you know if you lay out the text it's really pretty simple if you're obedient then you enter into the kingdom if you're disobedient you don't enter into the kingdom that's a that's b okay we're going to talk about a the three ways that he communicates that our obedience leads to presence are these 
First of all, the conduct which reveals that we're present in the kingdom. Notice the words as we begin the text in verse 24, therefore, and again we've said oftentimes when you see a therefore in the text, what are we supposed to ask? What is it therefore? Because it points us back and it points us forward. This therefore points us back to these words of mine. What words of mine is he talking about? Everything that he said from chapter 5 verse 1 up through chapter 7 verse 23 at least to this point, but now he's adding some of these words, but all these words. And he particularly connects us with the previous section. Because what he does, the two previous contrasts that we saw, there was a a narrow gate and there was a wide gate, right? And then there were these false prophets that had, some had good fruit, bad fruit, and then there is good fruit. And so he's talking about trees and he's talking about buildings he's talking about ways now he's going to build on the sand and he connects these all together and so what what Jesus does is he links us to chapter 7 verses 15 through 23 by echoing the contrast between the true follower of Jesus who's the true follower of Jesus well look at verse 24 therefore everyone who hears my word and acts on it That's a true follower of Jesus. But now look at verse 21. The end of verse 21, he had said this. The one who enters the kingdom of God, but he who does the will of my Father. It's not those who say to me, Lord, Lord, but those who do the will of the Father. So he connects us with that. The true follower of Jesus is one who's obedient. Same as it was before. And then he contrasts that with the lawless person. That's the false prophet in verses 15 through 23, who has the bad fruit. Well, how does he connect us with that? Well, that's the person who is disobedient. Verses 26 and 27. You don't build their house on the rock. They build it on the sand. They hear the word. They don't do the word. Those are the disobedient. And then for, he looks forward, emphasizing the result of that. What was the result of entering through the wide gate? You remember in verses 13 to 14? You enter through the wide gate. Many there be that find it. And where does it lead? Destruction. What happens to the false prophets who say to the Lord, Lord, and they say, didn't we not do these things in your name? And he says, I never knew you. Depart from me. Oh, my. Well, what happens to the people who don't build their house upon the foundation of Christ and his words? In verses 26 and 27, where do they end up? Destruction. Great is the fall. Splat. You know, you sang the song, right? Splat. And I didn't remember that in the words to the song, but the, the house on the hand, on, built on the sand goes splat. You know? So that's what Jesus does. So you see that each one of these three contrasts is basically making the same point. There's a choice to make, and the choice that we make has eternal consequence. And if we follow God in obedience to Christ and his words, then we end up with an eternal security. And if we do not follow God in his word, we end up with eternal condemnation. That's the direction that he's heading us. He says, everyone who hears, who's that? Who had heard Jesus' words? Well, obviously everybody who was there, particularly it was intended for the disciples, but there was a multitude of people there listening to the words that Jesus had said. But it's also for those of us who are here now listening to Jesus' words. Everyone who reads Jesus' words. Everyone who hears these words of mine but particularly the religious people who were listening to Jesus. 
I told you we were on vacation recently and we traveled by airplane and so we went through the airport and uh, I one of my pet peeves is going through airport security, okay? So the, the security checkpoint. So I gave you a little picture of what it's like to go through it. I'm sure this is probably Chicago or someplace. I don't know exactly where, where this picture was taken. But you walk up to go through the security and they have this repeating announcement over the intercom. Somebody who was paid to record this announcement. Uh, please remove your belts and please take off your shoes. Please put all of your uh, devices on the, uh, in the bin that will go through the thing. You know, you have to have anything larger than a cell phone. It needs to be taken from your baggage, blah, 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 blah. Take out your liquids, get rid of your liquids, blah, blah, blah. They, they keep repeating this, repeating this, repeating this. Everybody hears it. But it amazes me when I'm at the airport. To walk through the airport and invariably somebody gets hey, remove everything from your pockets. Oh yeah, they go. Oh yeah, I didn't get that. Oh yeah, you got to go back. Take off your. Oh yeah, I didn't do that. Take off your jacket. Oh yeah, I didn't do that. I think you've been listening to this announcement for ten minutes, and you didn't get it. Everybody hears. He, everyone who hears these words, Jesus says. Folks, if you grew up in the church, you've heard these words. If we've read the Bible, we've heard these words. All these people were listening to Jesus. They've heard these words. He says, I'm not really interested in your auditory function, your ears. I'm interested in your action. What do we do? What do we do with what we say? Jesus claims, this is an amazing thing, he, gets, he claims to speak for God. If you don't do what I say, it determines, if you do or you don't do, regardless, it determines your eternal destiny. He's speaking for God. He claims to speak with the authority that only God can. There is no middle ground for Jesus. You're either all in or you're not in. We either accept his word and surrender to his will and his way in every part of our life or we're not in. We're not in. We have to submit to his will, surrender to his majesty and his mastery over our life. You see, people, I just want to be free. Well, you can be free from your sin, but you're going to be a slave to Christ. We are a master. We have a master. It just depends on who our master is. Okay? The truly righteous hear the Sermon on the Mount. We hear the Sermon on the Mount, and regardless of the challenges it presents, the convictions that it brings, and the changes that it requires, the true follower of Jesus says, yeah, okay. I, yeah, I'm in. That's me. I'm, I'm ready for this. I'm not ready for this in my own flesh, but I'm, I'm ready to go along. I'm, I'm following Jesus. To hear and act on Jesus' words is to surrender completely to God and his word in every aspect of our life, beginning with our character. Remember if we go down through the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. Do I really want hum humility in my life? Blessed are those who mourn. Am I really willing to examine my own heart and be convicted of my own sin and to be mourning over the sins of other people? Blessed are the merciful, he says. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's character. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who, are, when they're persecuted, they're, they're saying, okay, God counted me worthy to be persecuted. We're willing to say we're surrendering to God's will and his word when he says that we're all sinful and separated from God for eternity, that we need the work of Christ on the cross to pay the debt that we owe. We're willing to surrender to the will of God when it comes to our money, our possessions, our power, our prosperity, our future. Everything. He who hears these words of mine. (laughs) Oh, really? I'm supposed to forgive people? Yeah. I'm not supposed to call people, you fool, you raka, with animosity. I'm supposed to pray for my enemies and love my enemies. Yes, that's what Jesus calls us to. I'm supposed to remove the log from my own eye before I condemn or criticize anybody else. I'm supposed to treasure the things of heaven. I'm supposed to trust God with all that I have and all that I don't have. I'm supposed to seek what's good for other people as I would seek what's good for me in every circumstance. Yes, that's it. So, you know, when I go through the airport security line, I I make it my goal, you know, that I'm not going to be one of those people. You know, that, that, that holds up the line because they, they, uh, they didn't do what they're... Oh, they, you know, they walk up to this scanner, this x-ray scanner, and the, and the TSA person says, oh, no, 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 you know, take off your belt. Okay. Uh, no, you got your shoes, take your shoes. You know, I stood in line for a half hour one time in the London airport, and some person in front of me had a jacket on, and they had been repeating this thing and this thing and this thing, and then they got up to the thing, and they didn't have their jacket taken off, and I was like you got to be kidding me. I have a connecting flight. And you, seriously, people. That's why, you know, sometimes we don't say too many announcements because I found that people that don't listen don't read. So, you know, we want you to read, we want you to listen, but we, we try to communicate. And so when I go through the TSA, so here, in my pride, you know, we checked a bag at the airport and, uh, you know, they give you all these, all these things. Here's the, here's the, check bag you know when you check a bag you get a little ticket that's supposed to you're supposed to keep so in case they lose your bag you can claim your bag well I just stuck the thing in my pocket and so I was like okay I think I got everything out of my pockets and I don't have a belt on blah 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 I walked through the scanner and then it's like oh come over here and then I got patted down you know because I had this piece of paper in my pocket okay Steve try to do hear and do That's what Jesus says. Listen to what I'm saying and do what I'm saying. You see, nobody's a child of God because they hear the word of God. Nobody's a child of God because they even understand the word of God. Nobody's a child of God because they remember the word of God. Nobody's a child of God because they repeat the word of God. We're only a child of God if we hear and obey the word of God. Look at Luke chapter 11, verse 28. I think we have this, if you look on the screen, but he said, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. And then a passage in James, which calls us to be doers of the word, but but prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. 
I'm not going to read through the whole text, but it's James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. And he concludes, and he says, uh, the perfect love there, but be an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. We're to be doers of the word. Now, what Jesus is not saying here is that we're saved by our works. Okay? He's not saying, all you got to do is, is, is because actually, you're not gonna, we're not going to be able to do what Jesus has said unless we are saved. Because even people who are saved have trouble, can't do it by themselves. It has to be the Spirit of God. So he's not saying you are saved by your works. I mean, he's just, all of what Jesus argues in his whole life is against works righteousness. I mean, that's why he's so antagonistic towards the Pharisees. No. Possessing and practicing kingdom righteousness is impossible in our flesh. Paul said it in Romans chapter 3. There are a couple of verses I want you to consider. In Romans chapter 3, beginning with verse 20, is, is one of those verses. In Romans 3.20, he says, Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Okay, It's flesh, not flesh. Okay? No flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And then Romans 3.28, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Do you see that? If you and I try to do what we need to do, to earn our way to heaven, we won't make it. We have to put our trust or our faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross as a payment for our sins. We're made right with God and dwelt by the Spirit and then empowered to live the life that God has called us to live. No. We go back to last week. Remember here, the, just as the fruit of the tree, now think about this, the fruit of a tree discloses but does not determine what kind of tree it is. So too, the fruit of obedience to Jesus' commands discloses but does not determine that we are God's children. A tree is known by its fruit. That's an apple tree. That's an orange tree. A Christian is known by his or her fruit. So our fruit discloses it does not determine we are his disciples. It's the Spirit of God that works enabling us to do what Jesus requires. See, obedience is confirmation that we are his children. It's not the cause of it. Neither does this text require sinless perfection. It's not saying, well, you know, unless you're absolutely 100% perfect in all that Jesus commanded at all times, every moment of every day, then you're not a child of God. No. You just write down John, 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He knows that we will sin. But that's not supposed to be the trajectory of our life. No. Obedience. No. To act upon it. To act upon Jesus' words is that means that's where we're moving. Um, you ever been driving somewhere and, and you know what direction you're supposed to go? But it says the road, you have to go the opposite direction to get there. I mean, we were driving just on north on the, the new uh, interchange that's, uh, what is it, on 104th or whatever, uh, that goes across into Johnston from Urbandale. They're out by the Home Depot off of Plum Drive. And you have to, it says to, to go on Interstate 
80, 35, you have to go north. I'm going, what? Interstate 80, 35 goes south and west. Why would I have to go north to go there? It doesn't make sense. The direction doesn't, well, you have to cross over the inter, you know, interstate and then get back on the on-ramp. That's the, that's the point. But it's not intuitive. Intuitive is, I want to go that way. I shouldn't have to go that way to go that way. Well, God says to go my way. And his way isn't trajectory, is conform, you know, it's, it's, conf, it's conformity. It's the trajectory. It's the trajectory of my life. This is the point I'm trying to make in case you got confused. The trajectory of my life is it towards God. I may be going on some detours once in a while that may be off in a different direction, but is the trajectory of my life towards God. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says that he has come to know him does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But the one who abides in his word, in him the word of God has truly been perfected. By this we know we are in him. One who abides in his word walks even as Jesus walked. So the question I ask me, the question I ask you, is, is it a pattern of my life that I'm walking more like Jesus? Like what he's laid out for us in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through chapter 7, verse 29. Is that the pattern? Is that the trajectory of my life? Then there's this comparison. That's the content that we know that we're on this path. Then there's this comparison, which is in verse 24. At the end of verse 24, he says that this person who builds, who, who hears and does, may be compared to the wise man who built his house upon the rock. On a rock. Firm on the rock. It's stable. It's not waffling. It's not, it's unwavering. It's solid. It's deep. If you looked at the cross-reference, the comparative passage in Luke chapter 6, you'd see it says, dug deep. You know. I want you to look at this picture of the scaffolding that was for the World Trade Center. Now, I, I, I read this somewhere that the scaffolding, that they had to dig down 65 feet below the surface of the ground to find bedrock upon which to build the World Trade Center. 65 feet. That's solid ground. And he says, the one who does what I say is like the solid ground, builds on the sock, the rock that we're building upon figuratively is the word of Jesus and, and the person of Jesus. He says, who builds a life, who hears my words and does it compared to the one who builds his house upon the rock. The obedient person builds his or her life on the solid, stable, and sure words and work of Jesus. Because Jesus is the word. We build on his words and he is the word. So when he speaks the word of God, he speaks truth and he is the truth. We build our life on him. And then you see the consequences. What happens if we build our life on the word and the work of Christ? In verse 25, he says, And the rains descended. This is part of the song you like, right? The rains came down, the rains came down, the floods came up, the floods came up. And the house on the rock stood firm. Okay? He stood firm. You see, all the rains coming down and the floods coming up and the wind blowing against it, 
This is speaking of final judgment. This is not primarily speaking about the troubles of life. This speaks about the end time, the, the final judgment of God. And you see that in the other texts. The other, other contrasts in chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, what happens if you take the narrow way? Well, verse 13, enter by the narrow way, and then he goes to the wide gate. What happens at the wide gate? If you enter, it's destruction. You're the narrow gate, you get life. If you're one of the false prophets, I never knew you. Depart from me. When is that? In the final judgment. Here, same thing. He's talking about the, the final judgment. Obedience is the only evidence that gives us assurance that we are in the kingdom. Obedience is the only evidence that gives us assurance that we'll avoid destruction. So I question you this morning. I question, am I building on the solid rock? Maybe not perfectly. Well, obviously not perfectly, never perfectly, but progressively building on the rock. There's a second choice that's in the text, and that's verses 26 and 27. The obstinance means, our obstinance means absence from God's kingdom. And the same three indicators. There is the conduct which reveals our absence from the kingdom of God. What's that conduct? You hear the word. But you do not do it. Either because I'm a religious person and think that I'm already doing it, or I'm a rebellious person and I don't really care to do it. We hear it and we don't do it. Either because I'm comfortable in my religiosity, or I hold contempt, I have contempt for the Word of God. Now, I don't know if you've ever visited a park or a, especially a national park and they have signs that up in the national park it says, stay in your car, don't feed the animals. You know, don't get out of your car, don't, don't feed the animals in the park. It's, they don't say this is dangerous usually, but they don't have that much on the sign. People, again, people don't read much. So uh, they say, just stay in your car. I remember as a kid, we were visiting Yellowstone National Park and there was a buffalo, a huge big bull buffalo, about, you know, I don't know, a quarter of a mile up, up off the path, off the road. And he was laying down in the grass. And there were all these turons. This is my, my, my sister-in-law, bless her heart. It's a, it's a cross between a tourist and a moron. And so there were these turons. And they were, they were walking up in front of the, this, uh, this buffalo. And the buffalo's laying there. I mean, the buffalo's like as far away from me as to the first chair here. And they're getting right up in his face, taking pictures. Oh, this will make a good base picture for me. And there's a whole line of people. A little later on, we heard somebody got mauled by a buffalo. Well, imagine that. Now, I, I feel badly for the people that got mauled, but I don't, in a sense. I, I hope, I don't think anybody died, but uh, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. But do not get out of your car. Don't feed the animals. You know, when the bear comes up to your car, you don't roll the window down and give him a piece of bread. Hear and do not do. You will be in trouble, okay? Will we listen to Jesus? You see, the outwardly religious people, they, they look a lot like righteous people. But they aren't righteous people. They do some of the same stuff. They, they're spiritually informed, and they're actually doing actions that relate to spiritual activity, but they have never been transformed.
by the powerful work of the Spirit of God in their hearts. And we're all in danger of this if we've been exposed enough to the truth to be inoculated, to be vaccinated against its impact in our life. Yeah, I've heard that stuff before. You know, all that stuff about trusting Jesus and following Christ and surrendering your life. And I've heard that from the time I was this tall and I don't really get it. Well, that's the problem. Because we never surrendered. You see, we make happiness and success, not holiness and surrender to Christ, the primary part of our life. Today, in our world, the religious people disregard Scripture's authority. Well, if the Bible says it, maybe not so much. You know, maybe it doesn't really mean that. Maybe marriage should be defined in some other way than the Bible defines it. Maybe life should be seen as something other than what God sees it as valuable because we all possess dignity because we're created in the image of God, all of us. Or some other, you, take, you pick the doctrine and they, want to, they deny it, they disregard it, and they deny human depravity. Oh man, is really, we're really pretty good people. That's, I'm not saying that. Okay, don't, don't hear me saying that because we're not really at the core good people. We're depraved. But religious people seem to say that. We didn't dismiss personal accountability because God is really love. And I mentioned this last week. You know, he's only love. Oh, no, he's, only, he's love. He's fully love, absolutely, completely love, but he's also holy and just. And so we are accountable for a sin destined for an eternity apart from him because of our rebellion. Religious people today, they want to dismiss personal accountability. They want to discount the necessity of personal faith in Christ. That I must individually, each of us must wave the white flag of surrender and surrender the throne of our life to the Lordship of Christ as we turn from our sin and trust in Him and His death as a payment for us. That's not religion that's righteousness but the religious people want to dismiss it and then we want to do these things I, I was I was in a ministerial meeting Christian pastors and I use Christian air quotes and one of the pastors said of the people in his denomination we are Unitarians considering Christ now Unitarian means they believe all roads lead to God. Okay, that's just the, that's, that's the best way I can put it. You know, in Rome, ancient Rome, all roads lead to Rome. They just believe it doesn't matter what other path you're on, you're going to get to God. So this de Christian denomination was, some of them were saying, well, we're considering Jesus as a path. Quite interesting, don't you think, when Jesus says, I'm the only path. I am the way and the truth and the life. No man, woman, or child comes to the Father but through me. That's the religion that we live with. Dwight Jones is correct. He says these people want God's blessing, but they don't want God. Churches are filled with them. We want the blessing of God, but we do not want God himself. So I ask you, is my spiritual life, is my spiritual life, is your spiritual life all about comfort? without change. You know, COVID kind of threw us in for a loop, right? I mean, I, I don't really like this setup very much. Uh, I don't really like 
that we can't, you know, give people a hug or, you know, shake people's hands or whatever. And I guess we could. But, you know, it's just weird. It's just different. But are we in, are we down with Jesus for change if change is necessary? Not just change for change self, but are we too comfortable with comfort? Hey, folks, the older you get, the more comfortable you get. The older you get, the less you want to see change because you've got your routine. You know, I about freaked out this morning because I didn't have oatmeal. You know, I didn't have enough oatmeal. I had some, but it just didn't have quite, quite as much as I normally get. And I was like, oh. It's like, chill out. You're not going to starve to death. But comfort without change. Are we submit, committed to convenience that is not costly? You know, really. Some of you have had to give up. I mean, we don't have like our first service right now, right? So it's like some of you, for you, that's, that, that's very, very meaningful. And it's like, well, that's a change. And it's a costly change. Hopefully it's for a time. But, you know, we have to change. Move things around. We, we, is that what we're about? Are we willing to put safety above surrender to Jesus? <laughs> I got this brother of mine, I told you about him, he's, he's planning a mission trip to Lebanon. <laughs> now, you want to talk about, during COVID, planning a mission trip to Lebanon. Oh, now there's, like, whoa. Uh, safety? No, that's not about safety. It's about following Christ and what Christ calls us to do. I want to know, am I serious enough, are you serious enough about knowing God and desirous of becoming more like Christ? I think that's what Jesus is saying. Do you really want to know me? And do you want to follow me and surrender to me and believe that that's the best thing, that's the solid ground upon which you're going to stand regardless of whatever else happens in life? Disobedience reveals our self-reliance. And we're not in the kingdom. Finally, then you see there's this comparison. The comparison which reveals our absence. They're called foolish. The one who doesn't hear, hears and doesn't obey is what called a fool. They're just a plain moron. Uh, they're just a person who's outside of God's plan. They're resistant to God and, and His Word. A life built on the shifting sand of self-reliance and self-righteousness rather than upon obedience and allegiance to Jesus and His Word is it's insanity and excludes us. Have you ever, some of you have seen these, uh, like sand sculptures that are on the beach? Maybe you've seen them in person, maybe you've just seen them, uh, maybe just in pictures, but I'm going to try to show you this picture. It's a sand sculpture. This is a massively fancy one. I mean, this is like impressive, right? But you notice what's behind the sand sculpture? It's called the ocean. And, you know, that sand sculpture, as soon as water hits that sand, it just... It doesn't go splat even. It just disintegrates into nothingness. The life built upon disobedience to God is like that sand when the water hits it. When eternity comes and we stand before God, there's nothing. The consequence is revealed in verse 27. And the rain descended and the floods fell and the winds blew and burst upon them the house. And it fell and great was the fall. Righteousness leads to rejoicing. Rebellion leads to ruin. 
I want you to see this picture of this house that was built on the sand. Okay? This is a house built on the sand. And the rains came. And the floods came down. And the floods came up. And the wind blew. And look what happened to the house. It's ruined. I like what Dr. Turner says in his commentary. The obvious danger of building a house on such an absurdly unsuitable foundation underlines the horror of coming to total ruin at final judgment. John MacArthur puts it this way. It is not that such people have little left, but nothing left. Nothing left. The tragic fate of the religious and the outright rebellious is an eternity apart from God. That's the first of those reasons that we are given to motivate us to be righteous. The second one is this. The confidence for our response is powerful. Our confidence for our response to be righteous is powerful. And I see this in the last two verses in 28 and 29. And there are two powerful reasons that we should be confident. First of all, we see that We're encouraged by the amazement of the crowd. Now, Jesus mentions the crowd here in verse 28. If you look back in your Bible at chapter 5, verse 1, you see the other mention of the crowd, the multitude. There was a multitude of people who had gathered around to hear Jesus speak to his disciples. And Jesus was speaking to his disciples primarily, but the crowd was listening so that they would understand that he was talking to religious people so that they would be secured in their salvation, not deluded And they were amazed. The text says the multitude was amazed. Now, I find this important because the multitude had no skin in the game. Now, the Pharisees, they were openly hostile to Jesus. The disciples, they're down with Jesus. You know, they're, they're in, all in, you know, supposedly. The multitude, they're just checking him out. They just came to see what's up, you know. I mean, the president gave a speech out at Mount Rushmore, and some people are like totally good with that, some people are totally antagonistic against it, and some people were just like, okay, I just want to hear what he has to say. Okay? Well, the multitude was just there to hear what they had to say, and notice their commentary. These objective bystanders, these impartial people, these neutral bystanders, what did they say about Jesus? Wow. That was something. This is amazing. I can't believe this. What Jesus said. They're they're totally amazed. That means they're dumbfounded by the simple and forceful and authoritative message that Jesus brought to them. And what that says to me is like, wow, if these objective bystanders are down with it, they're excited about it, they're amazed by it, then I should be, step back and say, whoa, that's a, a testimony in favor of Jesus. Because they didn't have to say that. The amazement of the neutral bystanders at the teaching of Jesus promotes his teaching as worthy of being listened to and as important. And secondly, we're empowered by the authority of Jesus because you notice the word for in verse 29 introduces the sentence. For. The reason they were amazed is because Jesus spoke with authority that their scribes and their Pharisees didn't speak with. He's speaking for God. I'm I'm speaking as the voice of God. And as one commentator pointed out, the word authority with regard to Jesus is often used by Matthew to signify his messianic identity. He is the Messiah. His claim to authority. And he did that. I'm going to determine what I say. What you do with what I say determines where you spend eternity. That's what he says. Well, that's a pretty big statement. 
it proves, it doesn't prove it, but it declares that he is saying, I am important. I have authority. And they said, he speaks with authority. He comes to us. Drastically different. Compelling, a compelling argument for his identity is the fact that the neutral people said he spoke with authority. My neighbor, bless his heart, he could come out tomorrow and, and email everybody that he knows and say, you have to wear a mask in public. People are going to go, who's this guy? I mean, what's he saying this for? Now, if Governor Reynolds came out and said, you have to wear a mask in public because of the COVID crisis, a whole lot more people would listen. Not everybody, but a whole lot more people would listen, okay? They would, they would do it because she speaks with authority. He doesn't have this authority. Jesus speaks with authority. He comes to us and he speaks. So I don't know if you're here this morning and maybe you're one of these you consider yourself religious, or maybe you consider yourself a rebellious person. You don't even know about Jesus. I want to call you back to what I quoted last week from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says this, The man or the woman who does not consider his destination is a fool. Don't be a fool. Consider your eternal destiny. If you're not building on the solid rock of Jesus and his words, then at least according to Jesus who the crowd thought was speaking with authority, whom the Bible says is the Son of God, whom I believe is the Messiah, he says, you're destined for destruction. Now, maybe you think you're forgiven, but are you forgiven based upon the fact that you think that you've done enough good works for, you know, kind of God's judging on the curve and you're better than a bunch of other people? Or maybe you think that God will just, is just love and, and that he'll only accept, you know, in the end, it's like, Really? You, logically, you think that's good? Just do whatever you want, and in the end, you, you're, you're going to be okay? I mean, it, somehow that just doesn't resonate with me uh, and a lot of people. I think it's just... So I, my, my question for you is, Jesus offers the only way for us to enter through that narrow gate into life with him. We must admit that we're rebels that we're either actively rebelling against God or passively ignoring God. And that he wants us to be on his team, that he sent his, we deserve his judgment, but he sent his son and he died on the cross so that if we put our trust or our faith in Jesus Christ's death on our behalf, we can be forgiven. We can walk through that narrow gate that few find and have life. And this is what God wants. He's patient and long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all might come to repentance. So I invite you today, just to, in the quietness of your heart, just say, Lord, I, I get it. I, I am a rebel, and I'm walking away from you. I turn from my sin. I trust you as my Savior, and I invite you to be my Lord and my Master. I mean, the words are not magic. It's what's in your heart. And then receive Christ today. If you're here this morning and you're listening online and you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you know you're not perfect, but you're built on the solid rock of Jesus, rejoice. You have life. You're not a perfect person, but you're on the path. And rest in it. And don't let the enemy dissuade you or discourage you or convince you otherwise. Keep pressing ahead. And I ask you to join me in praying 
for and in pursuing the kingdom righteousness which God makes available. He said he would provide us the power, and that's Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. So just ask, seek, knock. And when we come now this morning and to take this bread and, and to break it, and well, we're not going to break any bread. I guess we're just going to eat the little wafer, but we're, we're symbolically uh, admitting that we're uh, taking this bread and we're going to drink this cup. We're doing so in remembrance of what Jesus did. So that we, he gave it all so that we could follow him and enter into life and be the people he wants us to be. And I invite you to take it and receive it and rejoice in it and then rely upon God's spirit to work in us to be conformed to the image of Christ. So as the praise team comes, and they're going to come, and, then, and, and as I pray, you can take the little, if you're here with us this morning, on your chair is a little cup and the very, very top, there's two little layers you have to pull off. The top one is for the bread, and the bottom one is for the juice. So uh, at whatever point you feel led, if you're here this morning and you know Jesus as your Savior, I invite you to join with us. If you're listening online, if you want to get some bread and some juice or uh, something, then you can take communion with us. We'd love you to do that. During the time the, the praise team sings, just take some time to reflect. Examine your heart, get your heart right with God, and then take the element as you see fit. Let's pray. Father, you are a great God. I thank you for the truths of this word, and I pray that none of us was deceived into thinking that we're righteous when we're only merely religious. But I pray that everyone who's truly put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, as imperfect as we are, we can know and have confidence in our spirit that we're believing in Christ and that we ask you for your power and your grace to bring us more into conformity with your will. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.